Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, the podcast. It's the voice of Charlie Steiner with the octaves going super high. Why not? Last year, he was on the call when the Dodgers won their first World Series since 1988. And the way they're playing right now, the early favorites to go back-to-back. We haven't seen anybody do that since the Yankees. And right now, the Yankees need a telescope to see the Dodgers. We'll get into their troubles in just a little bit. Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests Not our problem, on Zubin. the Goodyear Hotline. Our meeting, Key, the resident Dodger fan, Key. Mookie Betts has, I don't know, 24 other guys that were going crazy for the walk-off catch. I know it's not quite a walk-off catch. The series was in San Diego, but you get it. The last out, amazing catch over the weekend. They won Friday in a high-scoring affair. They won Saturday in a low-scoring affair. Padres took it on Sunday. They'll meet again this weekend for a four-game sit capped by the last game being on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball, which is what this rivalry needs. Standalone national television ESPN, Dodgers-Padres coming up. That'll be in six days. The Is series. it a rivalry, though? Well, you tell me as we bring in your old partner, Travis Rogers, ESPN 710 in L.A. You guys watch and talk more Dodger baseball than anybody. Good morning, Travis. Good to be reunited with you, obviously, with Key as well. Is it a rivalry? Answer Key's question. Is it a rivalry considering where these two teams are standing I understand the Padres' big acquisitions and back-to-back days, Snell and Darvish and Machado and Tatis, got all that, but it's potential not realized yet, and the Dodgers have realized it. Yeah, no, it's not a rivalry until San Diego starts to win some of these games. I know that they got one yesterday, but the games that they needed to win were the games in October last year. The games that they needed to win are the ones that will close the gap between where they are and where the Dodgers are, and so far that didn't happen. So it's fun. I mean, the games this weekend had a really weird feel for games in the middle of April. They did not feel like games that were just the beginning of a 162-game series. They felt like games that were going to determine who won the division, games that were going to determine who went to the next round. But it's not a rivalry yet. It's fun, but not a rivalry. Yeah, and and when you look at it, I think it's drummed up a little bit because the proximity geographically is next to each other. Not only that, there's two players that were Dodgers and you Darvish, as well as Machado that were former Dodgers that are now playing for San Diego. So people are looking at that and probably saying, okay, Zubin, this is a rivalry now. But you look at the history, recent history, the Dodgers have been on top and San Diego has been trying to find out what they are. They haven't found out yeah. what they were since – what, Tony Gwynn, Goose Gossage? I mean, like, it, it's on. been a long time. Maybe, a maybe long the time. Trevor Hoffman uh, yeah. Padres a few years ago. But like, it's kind of like a rivalry if a, a little brother can have a rivalry with an older brother. But the little brother's always the little brother, right? And, and they can go and do whatever it is they want to do and add those players. But the Dodgers did the same thing. The Dodgers went out and got the reigning Cy Young Award winner. The Dodgers went out and got the best pitcher in the National League. They didn't just sit around and say, let's run it back again. They went out and got a lot better, too. Let me ask you this, referencing Trevor Bauer there, the Dodgers' $40 million man. Obviously, the Dodgers have a couple injury concerns that hit them over the weekend as well. But a reason I think this is budding, Trav, and you're right, it's not a rivalry just yet because of where the two teams stand. Correct me if I'm wrong, and you guys follow this much more closely than I, people have been waiting for this Padres team to show up for a few years now, right? General manager A.J. Preller has been very opportunistic. As I mentioned, the big money for Tatis, Manny Machado. It didn't really pay dividends up until last season, then going for broke with the two pitchers this year. To me, it just sort of seems like they're finally real what a lot of people thought the aggressive Preller was going to bring a few years ago. 
Yeah, well, you know, when Machado signed a few years ago for all that money, I think everybody kind of looked around like, wait, does he knows that's the San Diego Padres, right? <laughs> this, is the, this is not the East Coast where he came from. This is not the best team on the West Coast with the Dodgers where he was. When he went there, I think that was kind of the first time because we knew Tatis was on the way. We knew that he was going to be the next big thing, and it looks like he, we were probably right about that. But, yeah, I mean, it, the, the Padres are trying to get where the Dodgers are, and they've done some of those things. They've got young, good young arms like you talked about. They went out and they get Snell. They went out and they get Darvish. The problem is the Dodgers are so far ahead. Like for every Snell and Darvish there are, there's a Bueller. There's a Kershaw. Dustin May pitches tonight for the Dodgers who, you know, he's probably the number two or three on any other team in baseball. He barely made the rotation at a spring training for the Dodgers. They're just, it's, it's not so much that San Diego hasn't gotten a lot better that they have. It's that the Dodgers are so much further out in front of everybody else. The Dodgers are, are deep, not only in the, the pen, they're also deep with the starting rotation. In the infield, they're deep. In the outfield, they're deep. It just, they can pick and choose what they want to do from night to night if they choose to do so. I'll, I'll tell you what else, too, we, what was interesting. And, and while I still don't think it's a rivalry, I think the Dodgers tried to downplay this coming into the series. If you listen to Dave Roberts talk about it coming into the series, you go back to spring training. Uh, Justin Turner said, oh, this is going to be like 19 World Series games. And Dave was kind of like, "Yeah, you know, we'll see. It's, it's, it's a long season. We're going to see these guys a lot. I don't know if it feels like that. And then after Friday night, that wild game, the 12-inning game, back and forth, lead changes, fist pumps, benches clearing, everybody had a level of emotion that led you to believe that the Dodgers were feeling a certain way too this wasn't just oh yeah we got these guys we always beat these guys this is what we do it had a much different feel than that and then even after the game Dave said yeah I don't know why that felt like that but it felt like that and, and we'll see what it looks like and then Saturday night's game was very very similar yesterday's game was very very similar so well maybe not quite that rivalry that we were talking about clearly the, even the Dodgers are feeling a certain way about this I can't remember the last time I saw Clayton Kershaw chirp at somebody that Clayton Kershaw was dropping BS bombs on on opponents the way he was pro far on Saturday after the uh, the swing where he made contact with Austin Barnes glove that's very un Kershaw like so clearly he was feeling a certain way too it's a great point we'll talk about the Lakers here in a second but the last thing I would say I think the most instructive thing you said there and now I get it from the rivalry standpoint there's always about punching up right you always punch up in a fight you never punch down the Padres are going to do everything to get into the Dodgers skin but to your point Trav when the Dodgers reciprocate like Kershaw and say, all right, now it's getting a little bit annoying. Then you know it's a rivalry because the Padres are always going to punch and try to aggravate the Dodgers, but the Dodgers recalibrating the other way, that does say something. Let's talk a little bit about your Lakers last week. Um, We found out from Frank Vogel that Anthony Davis is going to be starting to practice fully this week, an imminent return, you would think. Obviously, LeBron on the backside of that. The playoffs are about a month away. How's it looking for the Lakers out there from where you see it boots on the ground? Well, it was just nice to see our JV beat the uh, Utah Jazz JV on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Both teams were playing without their best yeah, players. Mitchell, so, right, yeah. yeah, no Mitchell, no Gobert, no LeBron, no AD. It was uh, not exactly what I think we'll see when we get to it uh, coming up here in a month or so. Um, I- I'm curious to see what Anthony Davis looks like when he comes back. I know that they're going to play with him for very limited minutes. I think Frank Vogel said they're going to hold him to about 15 minutes out of the shoot and see where he is. That's not a ton of time. Um, I, I'm much more curious what it looks like maybe a week or 10 days after he comes back. That Once we have that going on and we can see him, he's got his legs under him, assuming that he's healthy and ready to go. What does this Laker team look like without LeBron James but with a fully healthy Anthony Davis? Because I'm assuming at some point that LeBron is a human being. I'm assuming at some point that he starts to age the way that most of us do and he starts to become something other than the best player in the league. No evidence of it, but that's going to happen at some point. 
Is AD up for this? Because we've seen AD as the best player on a team in New Orleans, and while he was really good, the team really wasn't. So what's that going to look like before LeBron gets back? And then, of course, reintroducing LeBron back into the team. I, I still think that they're the team to beat. Assuming that both of those guys are back at their best or, or something very close to it, I don't care if it's Brooklyn or Utah or Phoenix or any of the other teams that we talk about. Lakers are still the team. You talk about punching up. Everybody's going to be punching up at those guys. Yeah, I think when you – you know, AD, you, you referenced New Orleans there, Trav. Yeah, they, they, AD was a, a guy that was, you know, the one series against, against the Portland Trailblazers – that they won, but that was, you know, that was really it. They took care of business against Portland. Outside of that, in New Orleans, when he was the main focus, they didn't go a long ways. Here in L.A., I think you just want to get him healthy. And when LeBron comes back, it could, could it be a situation where LeBron's ready to come back, but he doesn't need to come back right now. Right. Remember, this season started awfully early, right after with the championship. 71 days off. 71 days. Yeah. So, so now I can rest up. Yeah, I may have a little tweak here, a little injury there, but I'm going to milk it as long as I can because we're going to, whether we the one seed or the six seed, we're in the playoffs. And I look at that and I say to myself the same thing about the Brooklyn Nets. I don't care about the seeding. I just care about them being healthy come playoff time. And yeah, you- I'm, not wor- I'm not worried about them this year. I, I think that they're, it, again, it's all predicated on health, but if they're healthy, they're the team to beat. I, I, I'm curious whether or not Anthony Davis learned how to be that dude by playing with LeBron James last year, by playing with him this year. Because at some point, he's going to have to be the guy. It's not going to be LeBron and AD. It's going to be AD and the Lakers. And did he learn how to be that? Because LeBron figured it out really early. Everywhere LeBron's gone, he's won. Everywhere that LeBron's gone, he's been the guy that has to carry the most water every single night. AD is arguably nearly as good of a player as LeBron is right now, but he didn't have that responsibility that goes along with it. And did he learn how to do it? And we should mention that with home court not being such a big thing this year, whether they're one or six or whatever, they're not going to have to deal with hostile environments. The Lakers can play in any conditions. This is Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin coming to you live from above the Heineken River Deck, the Seaport District at Pier 17, brought to you by Chase. On the way, as Trav will join us and continue to be with us for the hour, of all the new starting quarterbacks this season, new meaning newly drafted or new team, who's got the most pressure? It's Key's real rankings of the new QBs under the most pressure. That's next on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You've got to, to at least get to the Super Bowl at some point in Stafford's career as a Ram. This guy is going to show the world what type of quarterback, what type of talent he is. This is Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about Electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus. Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. 
See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. Always fun to come up with something unique and different, and here we are 10 days away from the draft. A draft could be involved in Key's Real Rankings, maybe, maybe not. Real Rankings brought to you by Dell for your small business needs. Call a Dell Technologies Advisor today, 877-ASK-DELL. The operative word here, Key, is going to be new. The most pressure on new quarterbacks. That could be newly drafted in 10, 11, or 12 days. Or it could be guys that are just on new teams via trade or free agency this offseason. So that's the deal. New quarterbacks, most pressure. Key, take it away. Number five. You know, I would say at the fifth spot is Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton comes over from the Dallas Cowboys to the Chicago Bears. Chicago was in the playoffs no matter what you say with Mitch Trubisky a year ago. Andy Dalton did play great for the Dallas Cowboys. Now he goes to a playoff team, and if he doesn't get them back into the playoffs, he could be gone along with the coaching staff, along with uh, Pace, the general manager, out of Chicago. They're banking on him. To be the guy, even if they do draft a quarterback, he starts the season as one. Number four. Four is Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold was traded from the Jets to the Carolina Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater presumably will be on the move here soon. But here's a football team with a lot of talent. They got some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball in Carolina. You talk about McCaffrey at the running back spot. Robbie Anderson at the receiver position. You look to Sam Donald to get back to that position where he was when the Jets selected him three overall. They believe in him. I don't know that they'll draft a quarterback in the first round. I think he's the future. They have a decision to make on his fifth-year option, which I think they pick up in May. He has an opportunity to prove a lot of people wrong starting in Carolina, starting this season. Number three. At the third spot, Carson Wentz. Here's a guy who was benched last year with the Philadelphia Eagles, goes from Philadelphia to a playoff team in the Indianapolis Colts, replacing Phillip Rivers. There's a lot riding on Carson Wentz. When you think about it, what's the one thing we all said? He needs Frank Wright in his life. Well, he, he has Frank Wright in his life again. So now let's see what Carson Wentz is because they went to the playoffs last year and made a deep run at the Buffalo Bills, although they didn't get it done in the end. Phillip Rivers retires. He takes over. Can the Colts get it done with Carson Wentz? Number two. Number two. A lot of chuckles at this one, I'm sure. Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. 30 for 30, Jameis. 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But Sean Payton feels good about Jameis. He felt good about Jameis when he signed him two years ago in free agency to be a backup. He thinks that he could get him to be the quarterback that was selected as the number one overall pick. He's had some bright spots and moments with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in his career, but he also had some bad moments. They make they left him out for dead. They picked him up, and they're going to try to dust him off, and let's see what it is now. Number one. The number one guy. In all of the land is Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford wanted out of Detroit. They gave him his wishes. He's now in the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams moved on from Jared Goff. Everyone's saying, even our own Dan Orlowski, who played with Matthew Stafford, all Stafford needs is a quality head coach. He gets one in Sean McVay. He needs an offense. He gets one in the Rams. He needs to be surrounded with great defense. He gets a defense with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Let's see. If this is what Matthew Stafford wanted, big numbers in Detroit. 
big, big numbers in Detroit, in the air, flying all over the place. It was never his fault. It was always the rest of the team's fault. Now you get a Super Bowl-ready team. Jared Goff, two years ago, led them to the Super Bowl. You get a Super Bowl-ready team. Now let's see what you can do, Matthew. Now let's see what you can do. Keep in mind, Stafford is an 0-3 career playoff record, which wouldn't engender a ton of support and confidence. But to Key's point, if all of Stafford's supporters are right in saying, get me an organization that's not the Detroit Lions, hey, I was making throwing for 5,000 yards look like nothing before everybody was doing it. All right, Trav, so obviously he's on his way to Los Angeles. I assume this is something you guys have spoken about a ton on 710. What do you make of Key's number one selection of Stafford and his list in general? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to start at the bottom. I think that Andy Dalton prefers to go by his new name of QB1. So I think that we need to <laughs> He promised it to. <laughs> right. He's the, the respect that he deserves. No, I agree with Key at the top of the list. I think that Matthew Stafford is under an immense amount of pressure because, you know, doing the Rams uh, pregame, postgame, and halftime show, that the conversation is always about Jared Goff. That when, the, when they would lose, and they didn't lose a whole bunch of times, but it was always, well, if he hadn't thrown two picks, if he hadn't fumbled twice, if he hadn't made the same mistakes in week eight that he'd make in week four that he'd made in week two, then they would be on to something. You could see that Sean McVay's frustration would continue to build and build and build, and it was almost always about the quarterback. So, yeah, I, and then, of course, you add in the price tag, right? So you give away a bunch of first-round draft picks to get rid of the guy that you gave away a bunch of first-round draft picks to go get in the first place. The Rams haven't had a first-round draft pick in five years. They're not going to have another one for another couple. So that means that Matthew Stafford needs to be that guy right away. And here's where I think it gets a little interesting, too, is while I think all the pressure is on Matt Stafford for all the reasons that Key mentioned and all the reasons that I agree with him, I think the first time since he's become the head coach here, the pressure goes to Sean McVay a little bit as well. When he showed up, he was taking over for Jeff Fisher. There was no expectations. And then they won. And then they went to the Super Bowl. And then they had a bad year, and everybody went, okay, that kind of happens after the Super Bowl hangover thing. And then last year, they didn't go deep into the playoffs because the quarterback spot was not as good as it needed to be. If it doesn't work with the quarterback, well, whose fault is that now? Because we all know that Matt Stafford's a pretty good player. Like you mentioned all those numbers. If they're not winning, then it's maybe it's not the quarterback. Maybe it's not the other things other than the guy that's making those decisions. I don't think that it is, but that's the question that will be asked if the Rams continue to be a little disjointed offensively because Key said it a second ago. They went to the Super Bowl two years ago with Jared Goff. Well, that was two years ago, and the two years since then, Jared Goff got worse, significantly worse. So if he's gone and the team continues to kind of just sit where they are, then I don't think that that's a quarterback problem. I think that's something else. Well, you, you think about it, and I know we talk about the offense and, and the quarterback, the sexiness of the position, mm-hmm. but you got to think about the defense too. This will be their third defensive coordinator in three years. Yeah. I mean, so you you Wade Phillips and there's Staley. Now Raheem Morris comes over as their new defensive coordinator. Now Raheem Morris has had some spots here and there as a D.C. Right. You know, a couple games where it's like, okay. But we're not talking about the second coming of Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator slash head coach with the Rams when they went to the Super Bowl. So it, it's going to be a, a lot of pressure on Sean McVay. No question about it, Travis. But what will that defense look like well, under you, Raheem? You, you tell me. Can I mean, I – can, is there a way to screw up Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey? That seems like a pretty foolproof plan to me. If I have 99 and I have 20, if I have the best football player in the league on my D-line, I have the best corner in the league taking away half the field, do I have to be a genius on the defensive side of the ball or do I just let those guys do what they do? Well, you, you certainly got to scheme some stuff, right? Let them do what they do. Uh, but Aaron Donald wasn't healthy at the end of the season. 
we all know the stat in the playoffs. Yeah. So when you look at certain situations defensively, you've got to think to yourself, what are they going to be? Are they going to be a heavy blitz team? Or are they going to play Tampa 2 and sit back when you got Jalen Ramsey, who's a cover guy? Like, what scheme is Raheem going to put together that benefits that defensive side of the ball? They've lost some players, John Johnson in free agency. I mean, there's a lot to be said for what they're going to be missing on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, let's say, for instance, Travis, the defense has some slippage, just mm-hmm. a little fall off. Now the offense needs to pick that side up. What's going to happen on the offensive side? Is Matthew Stafford and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and those guys going to be able to push the ball down the field? Uh, is Whitworth going to be able to stand strong at the left tackle at age 65? I mean, like, <laughs> I like think he's only 63. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Next month he'll be 64. Yeah, <laughs> Right, right. No, I, I agree with you on those things, but – there was never a moment where I was watching that Rams team last year where I felt like the de- – other than in the playoff game against Green Bay, and like you said, Key, you had – Aaron Donald was hurt. He was playing with one arm, and it just wasn't working. And, he, and Jared Goff was okay that day, but the reason that they would struggle – and it wasn't that you needed Jared Goff to go out there and throw for 500 yards. It wasn't you needed him to go out there and make plays with his legs like Lamar Jackson. You just needed him not to fumble twice a game. You just needed him not to throw the same – what in the world was that interception – twice a game and I don't we're not asking Matt Stafford to go be something he's never been he just needs to be the guy that he's been once in a while make something happen with your legs no doubt. once in a while push the ball down the field once in a while make something happen off schedule because on schedule the Rams were good it was when things would go a little bit off that they looked like they had no chance going on and that was because of the quarterback two things shows you how fast the NFL moves right when Jeff Fisher was with the Rams I believe Todd Gurley if I'm not mistaken he called it a high school Eighth grade offense. Eighth grade offense, right? Yes. You're talking about going from that to the Super Bowl to being disappointed. And the simple fact, we got to go back and say it, the simple fact is when Sean McVay was given the opportunity, and I understand Goff had the throwing thumb injury, I get all that, but when he had an opportunity to say, if Jared Goff can go, are you going to start John Wolford or are you going to start Jared Goff? And he could not commit to Jared Goff. This is nothing against John Wolford. He would have started Wolford if Wolford was healthy. Right. What does that say? All right, so what does it say? Fait accompli, we all know that Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one. That's another new quarterback into the mix. How much pressure is their key? Because as you've said, you know, last week, number one overall pick. Look, they win five games. That's five times as many games as they won last year. But the bottom line is you've got a controversial coach coming in. There's been all sorts of issues around Urban Meyer already. He hasn't even staged any sort of minicamp or OTA. And now you bring this guy into the mix, bypassing Justin Fields, who he already knows from Ohio State, on and on and on and on. Pressure on Lawrence. There's going to be pressure because he's the number one overall pick. Uh, it just happens to be in Jacksonville, unlike me in New York. If it was New York and he was the one pick or the two pick, it would be crazy. But it's Jacksonville. So he can hide a little bit in Jacksonville as the number one overall pick. The sizzle will be there because it's Urban Meyer and he's the number one overall pick. That'll last uh, six weeks. And then eventually, if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, what everybody thinks they should be doing, which is winning football games, it'll just go away because it's Jacksonville. Let's be honest with each other. We're not – we will focus in on Urban Meyer because of that, but for the most part, he could kind of fly under the radar. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's – being a quarterback, no matter where you're picked, if you're the starting quarterback in the National Football League, you're going to have pressure. Your teammates are expecting for you to put them over the top. All the top quarterbacks in this league, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, those guys, Russell Wilson – 
they take their team and they put them over the top. Trevor Lawrence has to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, I, look, I'm not sold on the staff in Jacksonville. When, Dur- when, when I learned that Daryl Bevel was the offensive coordinator, I cringed. Mm. I mean, it's the same dude that didn't turn around and hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> so I wasn't like, oh, my God, they just got Andy Reid as their offensive coordinator. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Does it mean that Urban Meyer is going to be heavily involved in the offense or Urban Meyer is the manager of the team and going to allow Daryl Bevel in the D.C. to do their jobs? Like, what does that mean? Trevor Lawrence is a unique talent that they've got to figure out how to get the most out of him. What are the playmakers around him? Who's the running backs? Who are the receivers? Who's the tight ends? Those sort of things. We'll talk about Justin Fields, who will be picked at some point, presumably, probably quickly behind Trevor Lawrence, and get our draft expert's opinion on that and what's on the line at Trey Lance's second pro day today after this Sports Center update. We'll start at the top, top of the NFL. That would be Tom Brady, hopeful for mini camp. He had some offseason surgery, he was working on a little comeback from knee surgery. But the question is, when is he going to see his teammates in person? The Bucs are one of several NFL teams electing not to participate in in-person OTAs due to everything regarding the pandemic, health, and safety protocols. By some measure, two-thirds of NFL players are thinking about not showing Works for me. up. Now, how about this? This is a huge story in the world's most popular sport. Maybe not so much domestically, but internationally. A dozen of Europe's top soccer clubs, including Real Madrid... Liverpool, Manchester United, Tottenham, all these teams possibly breaking off to form their own Super League. They would have $6 billion with a B to sort of fund it. FIFA, soccer's governing body, as well as UEFA, are doing everything they can to put an end to this because obviously those squads take part in the UEFA Champions League and it would be a death blow if these teams were to mm. go away. It's actually a big story to follow and obviously a big story in America this week is going to be the closing arguments in the Derek Chauvin trial in the murder of George Floyd. The NBA is telling teams, according to Wode, to be ready to postpone games this week. If the verdict doesn't go down the way many people would like, there could be protests. Protests could lead to postponements and obviously there could be all sorts of situations going on. You've got the Dante Wright situation in flux there as well. Again, closing arguments today and then the jury should have the case and they're expecting a verdict here by the end of the month. Sports Center is brought to you by Goodyear. Goodyear knows from here on out every game's a chance to create momentum to make the right pass, the right move to hit the perfect shot. It takes momentum to get through the playoffs and it takes everything to capture a title. Goodyear, more dribble. So why is he continuing to slip slide away in the minds of many? Or maybe it's all a smokescreen. We'll find out in 10 days when the NFL draft commences on ESPN as well as ESPN Radio. Darinoka will be heading our coverage. Let's talk a little bit more about Fields and what's going on with his draft stock. For more on that, let's check in with Dre in North Carolina. Dre, good morning. What are your thoughts on Fields here? Good morning. Um, love the show. Keyshawn, I need up? you to go into your innermost Keyshawn of Keyshawns and answer this. If Justin Fields since high school has been 1B, 
And now, as you said earlier, he's all of a sudden five eight. And the reasons they're giving us for that is there's been no combine, has not been able to see him face to face, asking questions and things of that nature. If nothing has changed his one B, how did he get to five eight? Because the reasons they're giving us, to me, seems totally against any type of common sense and reasonable logic. Thanks for taking my call. Let's bring in Matt Miller, ESPN NFL draft contributor. I mean, if we're going to ask a question about Justin Fields and the question that Dre just had. All right, Matt, he makes a good point. He's had a second pro day, looked good at both of them, was awesome against Trevor Lawrence, uh, was mortal against Alabama, who wasn't. Um, So what's the answer to Dre's question? Answer, guys, uh, you can't just say, well, all 32 teams think this way. So I think that's one part of the perspective of this is there are 32 general managers who there is some group think in the NFL, but they also really are independent minded in how they view players. One thing you hear a lot about Justin Fields is remember the Northwestern and Indiana games. And I'm a big Justin Fields fan. He's my number two quarterback. But a lot of people who are critics of his or who are doubters of his will point to those games against Indiana and Northwestern in which he did not look his best. Now we can explain some of that away against Northwestern. Uh, he was without his number one receiver. Chris Alave was, was without a lot of starters because of COVID-19 pandemic. Both teams have very good secondary players. Northwestern's Greg Newsom would be a first round pick next week. Uh, I think you look at Indiana, their safety, Jamar Johnson will probably be a second or third round pick. So they, those were talented teams that a lot of people were dismissive of because they're not traditional powers. They're not Penn state and Michigan in the big 10. So people were like, ah, you can't, you're not good against Indiana. How can you be good at, in the NFL? And there's that lasting per- perception now that Justin Fields is not great in big games. For whatever reason, normally we, we see a player and you say, what I saw from you last is how I view you. That should have been really Clemson and Alabama. Like you said, everybody's mortal against Alabama. It is surprising, though, that that Clemson per- performance, excuse me, the six touchdowns, the comeback from the hit, that has really just been lost in the moment. Well, I think, you know, when you when you look at it, though, Matt, all these quarterbacks have had some bad games in their college football career. I can take stuff out of Trevor Lawrence. I could take stuff Mm -hmm. out of Mac Jones. I can go back to Mac Jones a year ago, two pick sixes uh, in the Iron Bowl. So you can find little bitty nitpicking things if you want to justify a negative report on a position like quarterback, we certainly can find it. It's it's not hard to do. It's just funny that here's a young man that at the end of the season when they played Clemson and he had the six-touchdown performance and he was balling out of control, that it was like, oh, my God. Now you get to mm-hmm. where we are here in the month of April and people were questioning his worth ethic. I could do that about all, I could yeah. do that about all these quarterbacks and players in the draft start to question things. But as I would tell anybody, all it takes is one. And no matter yeah. where he gets drafted at, the, as long as that general manager and that head coach and offensive coordinator believes in his skill set, that's really all that matters. And, and so as we look forward to April 29th, his name will be called. Will it be the San Francisco 49ers at three or will it be some other team? Speaking of that, Matt, the um, – 49ers are simply scripting Trey Lance's second pro day today. What does that mean? Does it mean that he'll be there at three, or does it mean that they just want to get a closer look? 
To me, Keyshawn, means they want to get a closer look. And they've been very involved in all these pro days. I want to give them a lot of credit for that because they've they've been smart. They've gone to John Beck, who is a private quarterback coach, and who was working with Zach Wilson, was working with Justin Fields. And they said, hey, Trey Lance, we want you to work with this guy. We want you to produce a script for your pro day. We're going to be involved. He's going to be involved. So it's very smart of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan to do this because now they're able to ask these quarterbacks to do the things that they want them to see. Now, will that change their mind? I have a hard time believing that there's anything Trey Lance could do at his pro day today that will change their mind. They traded up to that number three pick and, and had to know that Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson were going to go one, two. So you, you had to know, okay, we like someone at this spot. You don't trade two future first round picks and not know who the guy is. Now, maybe Trey Lance could do something today to change their minds. Trey is a, a great thrower. He's mature. He's smart. He's coming out of a system in North Dakota State that's very quote-unquote pro style. He played under center. There's a lot of play action there. So there, maybe there is an opportunity. Like These general managers, as I said, they're all human, right? We're all prone to bias. And maybe John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, who's the most important decider in this factor, maybe Kyle Shanahan says, that's what I need to run my offense effectively, to take my offense to the next level. But it all signs still point to Mac Jones being the guy at three. But maybe that does change today. Matt, with all the talk about the quarterbacks, obviously those are the guys that didn't get the most attention. But in your opinion, who is the surest thing? Who's the best bet? The guy that you said, this is the guy that's going to play 10 years. This is the guy that's going to make Pro Bowls. Who's that guy in this draft? Yeah, like you said, I think quarterbacks we look at and say, oh, this is the most important position. You're the best prospect. That's Trevor Lawrence. But if I had to bet on one guy being electric for 10 years, it's Kyle Pitts. Tight end, offensive weapon, do it all from Florida because of his size, his speed the production that he had in college. Now, there are a lot of good players in this class. Jamar Chase from LSU, Panay Sewell, the tackle from Oregon. A lot of really good non-quarterbacks. But if you had to take one who really stands out from the crowd, I think it is Kyle Pitts, just by virtue of, I mean, he's 6'6", 245. He ran a low 4'4". Worst case scenario, you get him in the red zone, he's going to be a matchup problem for defenders. There, there are not very many defensive backs in the NFL who are equipped to cover someone like that. So if you had to take one non-quarterback and say either a rookie of the year candidate or as you said Travis someone who's going to play for 10 years to be highly productive I think Kyle Pitts is the best bet you mentioned Kyle Pitts the Cincinnati Bengals reportedly are considering taking Jamar Chase over Penn A. Sewell as well as Kyle Pitts at that fifth spot why would they do that when I need to protect my quarterback in Joe Burrow it makes you wonder, right? And Cincinnati is uh, one of the old school front offices still, small scouting staff. They're very set in their ways. I think, though, Keyshawn, they could look and say, we signed Riley Reef, and I'm not making this excuse for them, but this is probably what they're thinking. We signed Riley Reef for agency. We can move Jonah Williams to right tackle, where he did play some in Alabama, and we've now fixed two positions with one move. The interior of their offensive line, they did like. I know they didn't play well last year, but Trey Hopkins at center, they gave a new contract. Billy Price was a first-round pick several years back. So they do like the interior of their offensive line. I think they're looking at this and saying, okay, we have solved our offensive line problems as best we can, but you can't find a Jamar Chase in the second round. You can find an offensive tackle in the second round. Players like Jamar Chase probably don't exist there. I would argue there's not a Panay Sewell in round two. Uh, There's no one else like him in this draft. But do understand that if Joe Burrow is in there saying, guys, I want want Jamar Chase, we've seen situations where – Russell Wilson says, hey, I need more help. Aaron Rodgers says, I don't know what we're doing here. I, I'm, not, I'm not in on the decisions. We've seen other situations like Kansas City where Patrick Mahomes is very involved. So if Cincinnati's letting Joe Burrow be that involved, 
He took Riley Reef to dinner when they signed him in free agency. He's allegedly advocating for Jamar Chase. So I think some of that, too, is you drafted this quarterback at number one overall. You want to take some of his insight and opinions on how to best build this team. Yeah, I mean, you want an LSU reunion and the fact that he opted out last year. I think just a lot of people aren't talking about him as much just because he's not top of mind. Matt, thank you very much. We'll see you in 10 days. Draft coverage, ESPN Television, ESPN Radio. Appreciate the insight. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. You Mm -hmm. too. This NFL Draft Preview brought to you by Sherwin-Williams. Ready to kick off your next painting project. Ask Sherwin-Williams. On the way, we just discussed Matt Stafford not too long ago with Key saying he's got the most pressure of any new quarterback. So, pressure's on. How many wins does he deliver? Key and Trav with the answer after Key has this from Hulu. Still pounding on that remote control night after night. Hulu has all the shows and movies you love. And before you ask, do they have the handmade tale or Grey's Anatomy or Sports Center? The answer is yes. Whether you're into live sports or news or award-winning originals and premium channels, it's time to have Hulu. Hulu plan starts at $5.99 for thousands of shows, movies, and Hulu originals. And you can add other premium channels and live TV, and it's all on the same app. So you're not having to download a million different things. Keep the drama on your TV and keep streaming simple. It's time to have Hulu. Restrictions apply. Riley in South Carolina, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Hey, day one, listen to man. I'm a big fan. Hey, Jay, I appreciate your football acumen. Hey, Zubin, you the man. Key, I appreciate you and you was down there in Carolina too, baby. I appreciate More that. More from Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin next. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Of course, that's for you fans that care about the numbers other than the final score. Over, under for teams in 2021. It's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Travis Rogers from ESPN 710 LA is in for Jay. Jay will be back hopefully a week from today. And Chris Canty, the Super Bowl 
champion will be here at the Where top is Jay at? of the hour. Paternity leave. Oh, yeah. Paternity leave. Paternity leave for Jay. <laughs> Man. All of our guests on the Goodyear Hotline, including Jeff Passon, to talk a little baseball in 45 minutes. But, Evan, let's talk a little football. All right. So, in honor of Travis being here, let's start with the Rams. Over, under, 10 and a half. What do you think, Key? No, Trav. Trav, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it better be over, right? (laughs) For what they gave up to go get him, uh, to go get Matt Stafford, it better be over 10 and a half. That extra game, I think, helps. You get 17 instead of the 16 games. And if the Rams are under, we go right back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, where the pressure on Stafford, and even more so the pressure on Les Snead, the pressure on Sean McVay, gets turned up through the roof. So for their sakes, it has to be over. I think it's over. Um but what is what's over, right? Is it thirteen or is it just eleven? And that and that's going to be the key. How far over? I think it's over, but how far over? Important to note, and I think Trav mentioned it, but it's just important to note there are seventeen regular season games this fall, giving everybody a little bit of an extra opportunity to hit that mark. I'll go over because I believe in the Rams. I believe in McVeigh. They have identified the only problem they have, or the biggest problem they have, is their quarterback. Unlike most teams that won't do anything about their problems. They rectified it in a big way. And to Trav's point, their last first-round pick, Jared Goff. (laughs) Think about that. It's a long, long ways away from the Jeff Fisher years. They had to give away two more first-round picks just to get him to get out of leave town. (laughs) (laughs) They they spent them all to get him, and they spent them all to get rid of him. Let's stay in SoFi. Chargers over under nine wins. Under because they're the Chargers. That's some high-level football acumen right there, that the Chargers will always find a way to be a little bit underwhelming. I love Justin Herbert. I thought he had a great rookie season, but we'll see what Brandon Staley does in his first year as a head coach. But I am not a believer in the Chargers because the Chargers always disappoint. Yeah, they're going to go under. And, And Staley, the new head coach coming over from the Rams as a defensive coordinator, is a defensive-minded guy. When they had an offensive-minded guy in Coach Lynn, time ran out on Coach Lynn. I thought that they pulled pulled it from him a little too soon, maybe a year too early. Justin Herbert had a great rookie season, but the Chargers are going to be the Chargers. I mean, that's who they are. I'll go over with the Chargers here. Uh, I know the one thing they definitely are over on is uh, the number of heartbreaking losses because nobody loses games like the Chargers. But I would say over because I don't think Denver's very good. That's a couple games they can get. I don't think the Raiders are good. That's a couple games they can get. Suddenly you're asking for five more wins the rest of the way on the schedule. A lot of one-possession close losses with Justin Herbert, as Trav mentioned. All right, let's go to the AFC South, the Colts. Over under 10 wins. I'm going to go under because I'm not a big believer in Carson Wentz. I thought not, not only not only did he not play particularly well in Philadelphia, but it seems like he lost everybody there. It, that, that thing turned fast. He went from an MVP guy to a guy that you everybody felt you could build your team around. He was the guy that, oh, they got the best player with that number two pick with Jared Goff at number one. And then the whole thing came apart, and it wasn't just injuries. It wasn't just personnel because we saw some other guys come in there and perform at a much higher level than he does. Uh, I would be surprised if he goes right back in there. I know that Frank Reich's his guy. I know that that's probably a better fit for him, but I'm not a huge believer in Carson Wentz. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go over here. I think that the one thing that – helps you out is your comfort level. And when you're a quarterback and you have the comfort level that he has with Frank Reich and the system that they run, young players at the skill positions like a Michael Pittman Jr. could certainly help and go a long ways. If you go back several years ago, that offensive line was retooled 
for Andrew Luck, and now it's all about Carson Wentz. So I think Carson Wentz gets whatever little bit of umph he had left in him from Philadelphia he brings to Indianapolis and then some. You look at the division, you know, what are the Houston Texans going to be? Jacksonville, obviously, is a new staff and a new system down there. Tennessee is Tennessee. They're trying to get their defense, in particular, their secondary fix. They have an opportunity in Indy to really go somewhere with Carson Wentz. I believe they'll go over. My initial inkling was to go under just because I honestly believe guys had one good year in the NFL. That was obviously 2017. That was cut short and Foles led him to the Super Bowl. Understand his good rookie season, the 3-0 and start. I got all that. But I'm going to go over here. And I agree. A lot of it has to do with Reich. But I honestly believe we don't really talk about this because people don't walk around with the, the Ballard jersey. They walk around with the Wentz. But I do believe the Colts have one of the best GMs in football, and I believe Carson Wentz is going to be surrounded by far more talent, thanks to Ballard, than whatever Howie Roseman gave him in Philadelphia. The Mm -hmm. Kansas City Chiefs, over under 12 wins. Patrick Mahomes plus Andy Reid equals over every time. I'm not betting against those guys. We've seen it the three years that they've been together. I know it's four, but he didn't really play that first year. The three years that he's been the head coach and Patrick Mahomes is the starter, they win games. They win just about every game, and I think they're going to come back. I think they're going to be highly motivated after the way that the Super Bowl went last year. I think they go over. Even though it's a big number at 12, I wouldn't be surprised if they went over by a couple of games. Yeah, they go over. For, for sure they go over. Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, the quarterback, the offensive line. They've went out and done some things to sure that thing up. It, you got to believe that they're going to be right back in the same position they were, making a deep playoff run with about 13, 14 wins. Remember, that 17th game. So I think they get there. Indeed. Andy Reid has hit the win total over every year he's been the Chiefs head coach. So there's no reason to think he won't do it this year. I'll join the chorus here and go over. It's as simple as this. If I told you right now, Right now, the Chiefs would be a 12-5 and five football team. You'd probably say, five losses? That seems like a lot. Don't worry about the wins here, right? 12 would be 12-5. and five. There's certainly more than a 12-5 and five team. Can Zach Wilson handle the pressure in New York? A New York Super Bowl champion with the answer next.